Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. My name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the team members here at Restoration Church. And uh, this week, we continue our journey through the book of Exodus, and uh, we're excited that Ron Merrill will be bringing the word today. You guys, if you have your Bible, if you'd open up to Exodus and go to chapter 4, if you've got a phone with Bible app on it, that would work too. But um, we are working our way through this uh, book of Exodus, and um, I think it's, it's really key. I'm, I'm excited for today. Um, do you mind if I just pray for our time in the Word real quick before we dive in? Awesome. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for just the amazing people that are here. Lord, of all backgrounds and personalities and um, even what they come in today hoping for or needing or expecting, I just ask that you'd minister to each of us in a way that only you can, knowing you love each of us just as we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know if you think about the future a lot, but I do. I think about the future a lot. And when I think about the future, because I'm basically Eeyore with skin, um, I think in terms of like what problems are coming, what bad stuff is around the corner. But do you ever stop and think about all of the good yet currently unknown things that are around the corner for you someday? Do you ever stop and think about the future and consider how many or what might be some good yet unknown today sorts of things, some good blessings? And for each of you, what those things are that you're hoping for or you might think of as good would be different. Uh, maybe it's a kid that you've been hoping for. Different generation, maybe it's a grandkid. Other, maybe it's just growing up a little more than you are right now. Maybe it's a particular accomplishment that comes from how you're wired and gifted. Maybe it's overcoming this nagging struggle that you've had for years and years, and sometime in the next five years, it's going to be all gone. Would that be good? Would it be good if, if, if there was only one person, just one that you got to touch their life, you got to help. You, maybe it was a matter of life or death, maybe spiritually or literally, and it was 10 years from now, but you knew there was just one individual that God was going to position in your pathway, and it would be life-changing in the best way possible for them. Is there any of the good yet unknown stuff that's out there that would if it were on your radar today, would help you get through today. I just want to encourage you that there's a bunch coming down the road for me and you that is good. Yes, there's going to be a bunch of bad stuff, and there's always the challenges, and there's always the hardships and the struggles, but there is a whole bunch of stuff that God's up to and doing that if we knew we're down the line and around the corner. I believe wholeheartedly that it would affect our outlook today. If you take a look at this book of Exodus that we're looking in, what I love about it is it gives us a big picture. I think the long view 
on our life is really important. I think the long view, the big picture is really, really valuable and important. As opposed to just like today and just my present circumstances, it's easy to get hung up on the present. It's easy for us to drag the past along with us. But to have a long view, the long scope, the big picture, it usually has eternity in mind. We can see not just what today brings or next week or even the following, but what, what could happen in 10 years, a whole bunch of little steps or a whole bunch of blessings in the right direction. How, how amazing would that be? The big picture is key. If you're not super familiar, the, the big picture of Exodus is a historic account about how God, in his faithfulness, rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt, leads them to the promised land, and he uses a person to do that. That, that took place historically. But, but the story of Exodus is also a bigger picture. It's a big picture of what God's doing still today on a spiritual level you know that God is still, because of his goodness and faithfulness, he's still rescuing people out of the slavery of sin and then journeying us to the promised land. And he's using a person, but this time, capital P, Jesus. That's part of his plan and his purpose is to rescue me and you out of slavery and send us to the promised land, which yeah, heaven's involved, but it really has more to do with being in a relationship with our creator that loves us. That's the big picture of Exodus. In Exodus, God uses a guy named Moses. And if you're not familiar with Moses, the big picture of Moses' journey is pretty interesting. We're only four chapters in. We're going to be in Exodus chapter four today. We're only four chapters in, but let me give you the flyby on Moses big picture. Moses' life was 120 years long. People lived longer back then. And his life could be broken down almost perfectly into three 40-year segments. The first 40 years of Moses' life, he was the prince of Egypt. He's in leadership amongst the most powerful nation on the planet in that day. First 40 years of Moses, prince of Egypt. Second 40 years of Moses, he's now in the wilderness as a humble shepherd. And he's taking care of livestock and animals that actually weren't his own. He didn't get to shepherd his own flock. He's taking care of his father-in-law's. So pretty stark difference between the opening 40 years of Moses' life and the middle 40 years of Moses' life. But then the back 40 the final third of Moses' life for 40 years is what we have most of the information about here in our, our Bibles. The back 40 years of Moses' life is where we're diving in now, where God gets a hold of Moses and says, I'm going to use you, Moses, to go rescue my people out of slavery and send them on to the promised land. And now we're only four chapters in to the book of Exodus, We've already gone through 80 years of Moses' life. And here, where we're jumping in today, Moses is at a bit of crossroads. 
Here are the crossroads that Moses, at 80 years old, God speaks up and says, I want to use you, Moses. And the tension, the struggle that Moses is facing right there is a little bit of, okay, God, I get that you're calling me to something. And it sounds kind of scary. It sounds kind of big. I'm not sure if I'm your guy. I'm not sure if I can pull it off. The crossroads was really this. I hear you calling me to something, God, but my past experience tells me that when I head this direction, it doesn't always work out. Remember the prince thing, God? I was a prince for a long time. How did that end? Not well. Oh, and then if you haven't noticed, God, I've been a shepherd of not my own flock. Yeah, you gave me a family. That was nice, cool, thank you very much. But I'm out here in the desert with goats and sheep for the last 40 years. I'm not influential. I have no power. I think where Moses was at was a little bit of like, hey, God, I think the guy that you were looking for was the me 40 years ago, but not now. But what was coming in his final 40? (laughs) This sounds super cheesy and stupid. You guys, I get it. But what if the best is yet to come? Those of you, you can leave right now because it's like the worst... (laughs) Christian cheese ball thing, but, but honestly, like, what if, what if God's not done with you yet, you know? Most of us aren't going to live to be 120 years old. If we're blessed, we get 30, 30, and 30. Maybe 25, 25, and 25. That would be a real gift and a real blessing. A lot of people get a whole lot less than that. But what if the most impactful days that God has in store for you are in the last third of your life? What if he's not done? What if he's not done? But Moses is going, I I don't know, God. I don't don't know if I could pull this off, God, because this didn't go well, and then that isn't going well. So now I'm beginning to think that nothing's ever going to go well. That's what I would start to think. And I think Moses is a little bit there. God says, go to Egypt. And then God says this, listen. He says, go tell the Israelite elders first about what I'm up to. They're going to be helpful. So go to Egypt, gather the elders of of Israel and now the Israelites and, and tell them. And then this is where we drop in. Chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? It's a good question. Moses, I need you to go to Egypt and rescue my people, but first you need to talk to all of the elders of Israel. Hey, God, I haven't been there for 40 years. I don't even know who they are now or if they remember what I did Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I mean, whatever thoughts are going through his head. And what if they don't believe me that I've met with you, that I've heard from you? Because this is a weird story. The bush was on fire. It wasn't burning up. I heard the audible voice. 
I mean, it's weird. So he's asking questions. God answers. And God answers in not, not a real direct way, as we're finding he's fond of doing. He says, what if they don't believe me? And God answers, and he says, okay, hey, Moses, what are you holding in your hand? He looks, he says, I'm holding this staff right here, this rod. He says, well, throw that staff on the ground. It's become a snake pretty quick, and it does. It turns into a snake, and he says, okay, reach down, grab the snake by the tail, which is the most dangerous part of the snake to grab, and he reaches down and grabs it. It turns back into the staff. He says, show him that. (laughs) Whoa. Moses, Moses, I'll give you another one, a little party trick. Put your hand inside your cloak, pull it out. And Moses does that. When he pulls it out, his hand is leprous. It's disgusting. He says, put it back in. He puts it back in, pulls it back out. It's completely pure. There's a lot of symbolism going on here. We won't get into that. Whoa. If they don't buy that, then when you get down there, what I want you to do, take a bucket, scoop out some water out of the Nile River. When you dump the water onto the ground, the water's going to turn into blood. Whoa. See if that gets their attention, Mo. Oh. Now, I would love if that were the end of Oh, you're right, God. I, I totally, totally should have got that from the beginning. But what... What God's doing here is is he's basically answering again with Moses, I am faithful. Moses, I am powerful. He's not going to let the conversation be about Moses and his power, Moses and his faithfulness, Moses and his wisdom, Moses and his strength. God brings the answer back to what we've seen so far in this book is Knowing who God is, the character and nature of God is absolutely everything, especially when he calls me and you on to tough stuff. It's about his faithfulness and strength. Verse 10, skip down. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Here come the excuses. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Again, God answers out of his capabilities, not Moses' capabilities. And he's speaking on behalf of mankind, reminding us all, going, hey, I'm sovereign. I'm in control of all of it. And I can use all of it. But Moses is now on this slippery slope. He's now moved from questions to excuses. And his excuse here is, God, I'm not a good speaker. And knowing this Pharaoh guy, if I'm going to have to do a big showdown here, what you're going to want is a really good speaker. You're going to want a really eloquent guy. If I'm going to have to convince all the elders of the Israelite people, what you're going to want is a really good speaker, God. And I'm not that. The weird thing is in Acts 
chapter 7. There's a guy named uh, Stephen, a follower of Jesus, that gives this impassioned speech about who God is, the faithfulness of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Stephen says, but Moses was educated in all the ways of the Egyptians and was therefore powerful in word and deed, in speech and actions. Huh. Interesting. Maybe, Moses, you were good at speaking at one point. And over the last 40 years, you just got a little rusty. Or maybe you were never good at it in the first place. But I equipped you. Because the reality is, I'm God. If I need you to be a good speaker, I can make you a good speaker, even if you're not a good speaker. We can learn, we can grow, we can develop, we can change when God's involved. And if God calls me and you to do something, we can rest assured that he's going to fill in the gaps. He's going to shore up what's lacking. He's going to provide. And so if God's calling, then our excuses really don't bear much weight. But kind of empathizing with Moses here a little bit, what I, what I think he's struggling with, other than the fact that he's 80, is I think he's had the wind knocked out of him. You ever had the wind knocked out of you? I'm not talking about literally falling over and <gasps> can't catch your breath. I'm talking about when life has knocked the wind out of you. And you've had one particular catastrophic event, or maybe you've had so many consequential events over and over and over again, or you had one that lasted 25 years, and it's so exhausting, it's knocked the wind out of you. And the trouble when that wind gets knocked out of you is the circumstances start to dictate just about everything going on in your world, especially who God is to you and who you are. You got a long, rough patch of circumstances or multiple consecutive seasons of getting the wind knocked out of you. I guarantee, here's what the enemy will do. The enemy will use that to say, God is not good. God is not for you. God's asleep at the wheel. God has left me. And maybe that's why God is emphasizing so much to Moses in this moment about his character and his nature and, his, and coming back to that. And then you go, okay, no, no, I, I, I get it. I remember God. Yeah, you are good. You are there. You are faithful. You are strong. But I'm sure, sure not. I messed up here, that led to some junk. I messed up there, that led to some junk. So I must be one of those people that's just going to always keep messing up. And the enemy loves to just keep us allowing circumstances to dictate who God is and who you are. Moses, I was a, I was a prince. I was a prince. And then I got in that fight and took somebody's life. I had to run for the wilderness. That didn't end well. And then I've been a shepherd all these years and I got nothing and this isn't ending well. Who's to say the next 
40 are going to end any better. But do you think Moses learned some stuff during the opening 40 as the prince of Egypt? Do you? And do you think the stuff that he learned in the opening 40 benefited him in the last 40 when he had to lead a couple million people? But it took over 40 years in between for God to connect dots for Moses between what the opening 40 was really about in his life. Man, 40 years is a long time to wait. For most of us, if you were the prince of anything or the princess of anything for 40 years and you lost it for four minutes, you'd have trouble rebounding. Much less four years. Much less 40. Let's bring it back to our time frame of life. You, you have 30 years on the shelf for 25 years on the shelf. That's tough business. The enemy just wanted to keep Moses stuck there. I think he learned a ton when he was the prince of Egypt that was for a reason and for a purpose, including the last 40 years. How many of you think that probably the most helpful, instructive, impactful years were the middle 40 where it didn't seem like anything was going on? I do. Because humility took place there. And now he's got to not only lead a couple million people, that takes leadership, but he's got to lead them through what? The desert, where he's just spent 40 years. What a gift. All the little tricks of the trade that he would have picked up along the way would have been fantastic. Much less whatever God was doing in his heart. Sometimes the most boring to you, non-influential seasons of your life might be the place that God's working in you the most. The outside doesn't look great. There's no fame. There's no influence. There's no popularity. But you're just being a good mom. Just being a good dad. Just trying to be a good friend and a good worker and whatever it is. God's still with us in those moments. Well, then it continues on. Verse 13 and 14. Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Look at this, verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Let's pause there for a sec. The slippery slope that Moses has been on is this. He started with the questions. God's called, God's moving, God's speaking up, and it starts with the questions. Uh, I don't know, who am I, who are they, what about this, what about that? Then it moves to the excuses. The questions didn't quite work, so now we've slipped into excuses. I don't know if I'm really good at that. I don't know if I've got the ability for that. Here come the excuses. Both of those haven't worked. God's still calling, and now he says, Flat out, send someone else. The questions Moses asked, starting back at the burning bush, who am I? Then he asked, who should I say is sending me? Now he's asking, what if the elders don't believe me? At none of those questions did God get angry. Then, send someone else. Now God's upset. There is a big difference for me and you between honest seeking, 
honest wrestling. Who am I? Who are you, God? There is a time and place for that that's very, very important. But there's a difference between honest wrestling and just complete stubbornness. There's a big difference between saying, I, God, I think I'm unable versus saying, I'm unwilling to do this. And I love how God's still hanging in there with him. He's upset. The questions were kind of excuses of themselves. Moses says, who am I? That's the first question. He's basically wrestling with his identity. You ever wrestled with your identity? Then he asks the questions of, who should I say is sending me? What if the elders don't believe? Essentially, he's wrestling with, hey, I don't think I have all the answers, God. I don't have all the info. If I had the right background and all the answers first, then I might step out and do it. But until I get all the answers, and I'm sure my pedigree is right, then I don't know if I could do anything for you. I've been there. Then he moves to, I'm not a good enough speaker. I'm not eloquent. Which is questioning his ability, his talents, his skills. You ever question those? God ever said, hey, I would love for you to go be a part of this endeavor. And you go, you know what, that... That's like an extrovert thing, and I'm a major introvert. There's no way. Or, no, I, I don't like kids. Or, no, I can't. I, I don't have the skill set for that. I, I get that. But do you know, if God calls you to something, he will provide. He will fill in the gaps. Yes, he's designed us with certain loves and passions and skills, but he's also a sufficient God who can fill in every gap that we're lacking at any given moment. You guys, any perceived inadequacy that Moses had didn't matter at all. Do you know how many perceived inadequacies you have? I've got a bunch of perceived inadequacies. Here's what I've come to learn. A bunch of my perceived inadequacies are actual inadequacies. <laughs> they are not perceived. They are real. They're legit. And rather than that being a problem, it's an opportunity for God to be sufficient for me. When I am weak, then he is strong. God is enough. He's got what is lacking in me all the time. And often the more lacking I am, the more chance it is for him to show off and shine. And I love those moments. I think it's probably what made Paul say, now I'm going to boast all the more in my weaknesses. But I think Moses is on his heels. He's wrestling. And he says, send someone else. But I don't think we should eliminate the spiritual battle that was going on here too. Yeah, he's interacting with God directly. That's pretty special. But there's a spiritual battle. The enemy loves to put any sort of resistance or opposition your way, especially if God's moving, if God's speaking, if God's working 
unfortunately, we can expect a whole lot more opposition. It's like watching a basketball game where there's that player that is, every time they have the ball is scoring points. Every time they have the ball, it's a three-pointer. Every time they have the ball, it's a, a slam dunk. Every time they have the ball, they're stealing the ball. Uh, whatever it is, they're constantly a force to be reckoned with before the, the other team doubles and triple teams them to slow them down. Spiritually, I think it's kind of the same. When God's moving in you, then you can kind of expect opposition. And it can happen anytime. I think there's two real powerful times. One, opposition will come real strong right after God has spoken, right after God has invited you into, right after God has begun to move or direct you. Expect some opposition. Because the enemy doesn't want you to go the, the direction, that the Lord doesn't, the enemy doesn't want you to go the direction that the Lord does. Another time of opposition is right after a big mountaintop God moment in your life because God's just taken some ground and if the enemy can swoop in right after you've been baptized, right after you've said yes, Lord, rather than no, Lord, right after this, that, or the other thing that the Lord's been taking some ground, the enemy wants to stop that and get you to think, I don't want to ever do that again. I don't want to ever take any ground again because I just get beat up spiritually every single time. But that keeps putting it all back on us Friends, if you don't have any confidence in yourself, fine. You don't have confidence in God. Mm. Mm. That's a different ballgame. It's a different ballgame. Uh, if we could only just get a little glimpse into the future. If you could just see some of the good blessings that are around the corner. I think it would be pretty special. Trusting God in his goodness and his faithfulness can be enough, though. You look at his track record, it's pretty amazing. Listen to me now. Do you think Moses had any clue what he was getting into? Do you think he had any clue what the next 40 years would involve? Was it all good? No. Was there a whole bunch of really good stuff in there? Do you think Moses had any clue what he was getting into? Some of the good stuff around the corner? Knowing what we know about the next 40 years of Moses that Moses didn't know at this time? Do you think if he knew some of the things that were to come, even in the midst of the trials and the hardships, that would have bolstered his faith? I do. I jotted down a few. Do you think Moses had any idea the absolute miracles that he would behold as the plagues would get unleashed? Do you think Moses had any idea that he would experience the victory of God as the Egyptian army closed in and God parts the Red Sea so that he and all God's people could get through? Did he have any idea that water would come from a rock to provide for his people? Did he have any clue that manna and quail would come straight from the sky to feed God's people? Did he have any clue that he would 
win a victory through prayer as a couple friends came up on either side of him to keep him in a posture of prayer all through the night so that they could win the victory. Do you think he had any clue that what was on the horizon was a really overwhelming mountaintop experience just between him and God? Do you think in the next 40 years he had any clue that God would use him and be involved with delivering the Ten Commandments? Do you think he had any clue that he'd be used by God to help build the tabernacle and have the rise of the priesthood? Did he have any clue that they'd go in to spy out the promised land and a bunch of the spies would chicken out, but two of them would be a faithful encouragement? Do you think he had any clue that he, he, he would get to actually with his own eyes see the promised land that God had promised now for years and years and years and years and years. He'd get to see it. Even though he wouldn't get to go in, he got to see it with his own eyes. The next generation would get to enjoy it. Do you think he had any clue that someday, fast forward to the New Testament, Moses himself would be standing on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration looking at the face of Jesus, the glorified face of Jesus along with Elijah, seeing the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God face to face. I don't think he had a clue. And the majority of that was in his last 40 years. What if the most impactful days for you are going to come in the last third of your life? What if stuff that happened decades ago will finally make sense? God will connect the dots. What if a particularly mellow, fallow season, you'll finally have the dots connected and look back and go, as cheesy as it sounds, what if the best is yet to come? And what if none of it matters regarding you, but rather knowing that God's going to be faithful and bring this full story to completion, whether you're with him or not? He's that good. He loves you that much. And he's patient. He's got us. So gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for that patience. We thank you also for the long view, the big picture perspective. We thank you for moments where we can consider the future. We pray, Father, for faith and that faith that is certain of what we hope for and do not see. Not because circumstances are predictable, but because you are good and you are sovereign and you are in control. Pray for those that are in a mellow season or an in-between season or a season where they don't feel like there's much God activity going on. Help them see just the beauty of that season, that you're still on the throne and you're still faithful. I pray, Father, for those that are struggling right now, that are in the midst of something tough, I pray, Father, for them, that you would strengthen them and allow them to trust the good that's around the corner. 
It might not be for them, but it might be for their kids or their kids' kids. I pray, Father, for, that are, for those that are in their education season of life. They're on the up and coming. Help them be faithful to that as you're faithful to them. Pray for those that are in a really influential season that you'd still keep them humble. But in the midst of all of it, God, we just thank you that you are good. You are the faithful, strong, capable one. And we could just rest in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With that, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. Thanks so much for joining us. If this is your first time, welcome. Glad you're able to tune in. Uh, if you want to jump over to restorationaz.org to learn a little bit more about who we are. And um, we say this every time, but we mean it. Remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.